When I was a kid, my family had a couple of books, and it had to do with a thing called Magic Eye. Magic Eye was an interesting optical illusion called a stereogram, a page of what, at first glance, seems like just a really strange pattern. Odd and eye-catching, sure, but nothing exactly to write home about. However, the real trick to it was when you changed your perspective. When you looked beyond the immediate image as if you were seeing something that was actually further behind it. The patterns match up in slight differences to give an entirely different visual. An illusion of depth into a 3D image that can turn something as muddled as that pattern into something like a shark or King Kong strolling amongst buildings. How often do we look at life like the standard image? As humans, we have a finite perspective. We tend to see our immediate circumstances and the chaos of everything going on. And like the initial bright jumble of colour that a magic eye image is, it can often seem very overwhelming. We can look to the future, sure, but often we simply see that there is a pattern, but not the full picture. Now, life is not easy, and it is certainly filled with challenges and difficulties. In fact, Jesus tells us that as Christians, we will face additional difficulties simply due to our relationship with him. In John 15, 18 to 19, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if there are difficulties in the world, whether they take the form of tragedies, hardships, or even minor nuisances, how are we to conduct ourselves in these situations? And what assurance do we have that gives us that drive to do so? Well, in Genesis, we have the example of Joseph. And Joseph faced many trials in his life. And yet his story proves his dedication to the Lord and obedience to him. And not only that, but it provides a principle that then carries on throughout Scripture. So, how did Joseph's life play out? Well, many of you will already know his story, but let's go over it again. Joseph, born the favoured son of Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, certainly disfavoured by his brothers due to the favouritism. And Genesis 37, 3-4 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Furthermore, he received a promise, a promise in the form of two dreams. In the first, he dreams of sheaves of wheat in the field, and the dream implies that one day he will rule his brothers and they will defer to him. In another, the sun, moon and eleven stars bow down to him, implying that not only his brothers will defer to him, but his father and mother also. And so they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. We too have a promise. A promise in each of our lives that sets us apart from the world. In Acts 2, 38-39, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, sins, of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. For as Jesus said in John 6, 37 to 39, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Our citizenship is in heaven. Those who are called are called to that name of Jesus Christ. And we are told no less than three times in Matthew alone that we will be hated because of that name. By man and by nation, and even false accusations will be made against us because of it. And because of the favoritism that Israel had for Joseph, his brothers take action. And we see Joseph face his first serious difficulty. Genesis 37, verses 23 and 24. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. In verse 28, then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Then 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. What a drastic change in circumstance and how different to what Joseph may have imagined from the favoured child to a slave in a foreign land. In our workplaces, we can be faced with a micromanaging boss, frustrating colleagues, or an environment that's less than ideal. It can be hard to maintain a good attitude, can't it? And yet here is Joseph, flung from what may have been heir to at least a portion of a grand inheritance, and is now in a position of full service and very little future. And yet Joseph was faithful, faithful to the Lord and faithful to his earthly master. Joseph didn't choose to be lazy, nor was he resentful or vindictive. He conducted himself well, and the Lord blessed him with success. In Ephesians 6, it says the following, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Joseph epitomized this sentiment hundreds of years before it was stated in such plain terms. He does his best to work that his master would not have any cause to distrust him and has faith that he will conduct himself well. And God blesses him too, and he is promoted to a greater position, receiving from the Lord that reward. Joseph says as much himself as he defends himself from the advances of Potiphar's wife. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Sin against God, he says. 
Betraying Potiphar is not the only focus, nor just being a man of integrity. It is because whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God as our first and primary purpose. However, a false accusation by Potiphar's wife lands him in prison. And what once was bad, then greatly improved, has once again descended into a fallen state. And certainly a far cry from what one might expect based on the promise that he would rule. And yet Joseph continues to be faithful and dutiful. Even in prison, he does not languish, but is active. Genesis 39, starting verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This pattern continues in the next chapters. He is dutiful in attending to his fellow prisoners, including the king's cupbearer and baker. He even helps them out when they have their own dreams and are in need of interpretation. The cupbearer is released and returns to his position by the king. And yet he doesn't remember Joseph, but forgets him. Two whole years he had to wait. Sure, Joseph was respected and he was blessed and was given responsibility. But imagine having to wait two whole years diligently serving in prison. There isn't really an open path to career growth from the position of prisoner-in-chief. And maybe you are in a less serious version of that, diligently serving in a position that has no obvious progression. Simply serving, making ends meet, and praying that the Lord would open the doors. Well, I want to assure you that God is faithful. And if God can provide a promotion to a man whose career pathway has to lead through a cell door, he is faithful for you too. Pharaoh needs interpretation for a dream. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. And Joseph interprets the dream, gives God-granted wise counsel. And in the space of a couple days, maybe even a few hours, Joseph goes from a prisoner to the governor of the land and bearer of Pharaoh's signet. Put the full weight to that, a signet ring is the official ring with which state documents and laws would be sealed. Pharaoh symbolically transferred to Joseph absolute authority and the power to sign and seal edicts equivalent to Pharaoh doing it himself, royal decrees. And then Joseph uses that authority to carry out the plan that God's wisdom had revealed. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered Pharaoh's service, and we are told that he was 17 when he had those dreams that led him to being sold into slavery. 
That's 13 years that he had been in slavery or prison, over 40% of his lifetime. I want to challenge you to be as dutiful as Joseph, to serve faithfully in whatever circumstance God has put you in, to serve your family, your workplace, your community, with the same earnestness and consistency that Joseph did when he was stripped of any support structure other than the Lord. After those seven years of plenty, the next seven see the fulfillment of the prophetic nature of Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams and his own at the start of his life. His family comes to Egypt to retrieve food. They bow to Joseph, not recognizing him after at least 20 years at this point. Genesis 41 verse 57 says the famine was severe over all the earth and people came from everywhere to buy grain. How many lives were saved by the preparation carried out? God is sovereign and God fulfills his promises. In the story of Joseph, we see him working for the Lord throughout his life, throughout the many years that his life was completely removed from the track that he may have predicted. And why? Well, he had faith and assurance that the Lord was in his life. And he said as much in our reading today. In Genesis 50, 15 to 21, we read of what happens later on. With his family well and truly settled in Egypt, at least 17 years later, Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And his brothers are worried that Joseph was only being merciful to please his dad and not actually forgiving them. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message for Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Note that Joseph could have said, yeah, it was awful, but I managed to glean some good stuff from my experiences, and then I took advantage of opportunities. But he didn't. He didn't because in those dreams and in that presence of God with him, he was able to see some part of that bigger picture, that 3D image that only comes from being able to see beyond present circumstances. So often, looking back on a situation... We can see what the Lord was working in it. We can see that we were being taught patience or were made aware of some area of sin that we were missing. Or we are brought closer together with his community of believers due to relying on them more than ever. If we can see that looking back, can we try looking at current trials in a similar way? Approaching them with curiosity rather than frustration. We can look closer, look beyond the immediate oppression and suffering, 
and instead try to find out what the Lord is doing in it or what he is teaching us through it. Can you think of an area in your life now where you could use curiosity rather than frustration? I encourage you to pray about that and see if there is something that is going to be a greater blessing for that. We have a personal God, a relational God, a sovereign and faithful God. And not only does God's personal nature allow for relationship with him, it is also expressed through this world. It bestows a weight and dignity on persons and events. God carries out his purposes without fail. He is never frustrated in achieving his aims. He is in control. Nothing takes God by surprise. He's determined beforehand what would occur in the lives of his chosen people to accomplish his purpose in and for them. Things do not just happen to believers apart from God's plan. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This good may involve material gain, such as Joseph gaining a position of authority, but more often it is for something greater. Joseph's tragedy of slavery and imprisonment was ordained by God for a redemptive purpose. It appeared as a senseless tragedy, while in actuality it was a divinely appointed event to carry out things for his ultimate glory. And no greater example of this is in the very saving death of Christ. God, in his providence, gives over his son to be persecuted, to suffer, to be mocked, and to eventually die. And yet it is God's purposes that are fulfilled. It is his plan, foretold from the very Garden of Eden, that comes to pass. This does not mean that everything that happens to us is in itself good. Really bad things still do happen to us. But they are only bad in the short term and not in the long term. God's ultimate goodness brings good for us out of the bad and turns tragedies into blessings. In Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3, we read this, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? He is like, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Refining metal is a process where you must heat and melt it in order to find, remove, and burn off the impurities within. And we are being refined. We're being changed to be more like Jesus. And it's not always comfortable. In Proverbs 16.4, we read that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And we can see this in action when we read of Israel and Judah carried into exile. God uses trials to punish Israel's disobedience and bring them to repentance. God uses trials to work his will in us. 
Romans 5, 1 to 5 puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And in James 1, 2-4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. May we scrutinize our lives and our trials and our difficulties not in a way that has us fall into despair, frustration or anger. Let us not dwell in misery. Let us instead dwell in hope. Let us rejoice in Christ's power, and the Lord's plan, in his redemption. When we are weak, he is strong. Over the last few weeks... I have had many hard conversations, big developments in my life, obstacles in the way of my hopes, and rough steps necessary to progress. And it is in the conversations surrounding those really tough topics that I have felt myself grow even closer to the ones I care about, and even closer to the God who I serve. Let us use every opportunity to grow in our relationship with God, whether in greater obedience, greater understanding, greater reliance, or greater appreciation and praise of him. I want to close by reading from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, and starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let us look to the greater perspective. Let us anticipate the unseen, 
let us trust God that he has a perspective and a purpose beyond our own experience. And let's pray for that right now. Lord, as we go into the rest of our week, the rest of our month, the rest of our year, as we face various trials and difficulties, open our eyes and allow us to understand what you are working through them. Help us to learn what it is you are teaching us. Help us to become more like Jesus. And where we are hindered by our human perspective, where we just cannot see, help us to trust you, to trust that you have a greater perspective, a better view, a fuller knowledge. Let us really understand who you are and how powerful and sovereign you are and trust you to have your way in our lives. We just pray that you would bless everyone here today, that you would have your hand in their life and guide them, and that you would bless the rest of them today and into the future. Amen.